Hello and welcome to The Bunker with me, Chris Jones. Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin has been reported dead. A plane said to have been carrying him and multiple Wagner Group soldiers crashed into Tver, northwest of the capital Moscow, killing all on board. This comes just weeks after Prigozhin led his mercenary group in a short-lived rebellion against Putin. So is it any real surprise the Kremlin has been linked to the incident? Are any of these claims credible? And what next for the Wagner Group? I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Ian Garner, analyst of Russian culture and war propaganda, and the author of Gen Z Into the Heart of Russia's Fascist Group. Ian, welcome back to The Bunker. Perfect. Thank you for having me. Where do we start? It's been an absolute whirlwind of a, a few days for the Wagner Group and for the Kremlin, hasn't it? And there's a lot that we don't know um, at the moment as we record, we're recording this on, on Friday. First, could I, could I ask you for your reaction to what we've seen over the past couple of days? I guess my reaction is that this story is, is both incredible unbelievable, surprising, and yet wholly expected at the same time in that we've just come to expect these sorts of wild events popping up in Russia and around Russia's war effort over the last few years, but in particular over the last 18 months. You mentioned it there, wild events. We know we know one thing has happened for sure, and that's that a plane has crashed into there. What are the facts in this? Because it's to use a term that fits this perfectly, it's a bit of a shit show at the moment online, isn't it? It is. Well, I, I think you've nailed it. What are the facts? Well, we really only know one thing for sure, and that is a plane went down. What plane it was, whether Prigozhin was on board, whether he's dead, who else was on board. We are relying on material that's coming out of Russia that is being filtered by the Russian authorities and by the Russian media to ascertain what has happened. Now, for the time being, I'm sure behind the scenes, Western intelligence agencies probably have a pretty good grip on what's happening. And our best bet of working out what has happened is waiting for their their say-so. But until we get more evidence coming from our governments who are more reliable sources, we just can't really ascertain what happens. Whether Prigozhin was shot down by a Russian air missile, whether there was a, a bomb on board, whether it was sabotage, pure mechanical failure, a coincidence. The first of those explanations seems most likely and seems to be the one that intelligence agencies in the West are signaling is probably true. But bear in mind, we've seen time and again reality turned on its head in Russia over the last few months. And so I would still, and we're what, two or three days after the event, I would still reserve judgment on exactly what happened and who is responsible. What's much more interesting, and hopefully we can talk about, is the way that different groups within Russia are trying to twist this and turn it to their advantage. So, so let's talk about that now. Let's let's start off with um, the statement, if you could call it that, that Putin has uh, issued. He, he described uh, Prigozhin as a talented businessman. Um, are you surprised that Putin said anything at all, especially this this early after what's supposed to have happened? I, I think this is a fairly typical response from Putin. In, in the past, especially in the early part of his rule where elite politics was a little more chaotic and he had a little bit less control over what was going on, he tended to let different 
factions fight it out between themselves while he kind of stood above the fray and kept his hands clean, like a good mafia boss, basically, and then would step in at the end once they decided almost between themselves who was the winner, so that it always looked like he was backing the winner all along. And I think Putin's statement was was really very clever. It's easy to criticize it and laugh at it and say, well, this is just sort of mafia politics. He's He's twisting the knife here. But it's also a way, and I think it's a very clever way, of appealing to, to Wagner supporters, to people who are nationalists, and say, look, you know, we're going to show your guy a little bit of respect post-mortem. We've killed him, but he's allowed to be a war hero. We're not going to sully his name any further. And I've seen a few echoes of that in, in Russian newspapers and on Russian media sources already. Bear in mind that, you know, reality can just be completely rewritten in Russia, Prigozhin, as much as he was a traitor who was threatening to overthrow the country two months ago, can in death be turned into some glorious military war hero who was a, a genuine patriot, one of the last patriots, as the newspaper Pravda called him a couple of days ago. Talking about Russian media, let, let's take a look at uh, social media because it's run rife uh, across uh, websites such as uh, Telegram and VK. Uh, there have been conspiracy theories about what's happened all over the place. Surely what has happened is absolutely a propagandist's dream from within the Kremlin. So what's being said on those platforms? So this really is a case of choose your own reality. And every every conceivable conspiracy theory has been floated that, you know, this was all staged by Prigozhin, that he's going to pop up again in a few weeks' time, that this was a brilliant plan by Putin, that it was a bomb, it was Ukrainian. You know, all, all of this stuff is going around. But Ultimately, what we can say is that the Kremlin is in the driving seat right now. They can choose which narratives they want to inflate and deflate within these social media bubbles. They will use troll farms. They will use bot farms to do that. They have lots of astroturfed nationalist groups. They've done a lot over the last couple of months to bring the sort of more um, edgy and confrontational war bloggers on board. And the Kremlin can choose, do we want to make this guy a war hero, show them a bit of respect? And I think that's the path they're going down. But again, give, give it three days and I might be completely wrong. Mm. They can choose to allow Wagner a little bit of slack. They can choose to, to dig the knife in and, and twist it around a little bit if they like. And ultimately, I think in, in official media circles, they will allow Prigozhin to be a hero. And on social media, they will float the idea that Putin was behind this, regardless of the reality. And at this point, reality doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether Putin directly ordered this or somebody closely associated with Putin ordered this. People will believe that Putin was behind it. And that is a very powerful message. And whatever remains of Wagner, which is immeasurably less powerful than it was two months ago, will struggle if they do decide we're going to replicate that coup attempt. They will struggle to gather enough support because of these fragmenting realities to actually mount any serious challenge, I think, to the Kremlin. Do you think if the Kremlin do try and paint uh, Prigozhin as, as a war hero, as you've mentioned there, do you think that's something that the Russian public will necessarily believe based on, uh, you know, you saw the Wagner mercenary group march towards Moscow. Now, they didn't get there. Um 
will the Russian public necessarily believe any message that's put out by the Kremlin that could be positive towards Prigozhin? I think there will be sections on either end of the political spectrum that reject this outright. There will be a group of ultra-nationalists who will say, well, absolutely not. This is our guy. You killed him. We are even more implacably opposed to Putin than we were last week. There will, of course, be the democratic opposition and liberal opposition who paint the entire country as a you know, corrupt, kleptocratic, murderous mafia state, which is probably closer to the truth. But I think the great majority of Russians have no particular romantic attachment to, to Wagner and Prigozhin. And they'll be happy to accept that this was a guy who, who marched to Moscow as a genuine appeal to the Tsar, as it were, to, to please fix things at the front for us. Your generals aren't running things properly. And we'll now believe that this was a terrible accident, that, you know, whatever, whatever way that the state spins it, they will, they will go along with it and they'll respect him as a guy who cared for his country maybe a bit too much and, you know, express that in a undesirable way. But they'll, they'll accept him as a, as a patriot. What about the balance of power? What does this do for, for Putin's position within the Kremlin now? Obviously, as we've mentioned, Prigozhin was almost painted as this contender to his throne almost when he uh, led that march towards Moscow. Um, does this give any power back to Putin at all? Does it do anything? Does it change anything? I think, firstly, we, we shouldn't overplay the importance of that coup attempt. How close did Prigozhin really get to Moscow? Well, not really very close. Where was the army? They did not come storming to his defense or to his assistance. They, they were still waiting, biding their time. And I suspect that the reason that Prigozhin ultimately gave in back in, was it June or early July, was because he knew that that effort was doomed, whatever it was, or perhaps he never intended to march on Moscow in the first place. So in a sense, Putin's power, I think, wasn't as damaged as people or some suggested at the time. But now I would say, regardless of the reality, and we don't know what's going on behind closed doors, we don't know where the army, where the FSB really stands, the FSB being the security forces, but it gives Putin a symbolic power. And if I were an individual, let's say, army officer or an individual ranking member of Wagner, I would now be thinking, if I want to upset the balance of power in Russia, will this be happening to me? Again, regardless of reality, it's the narrative that is more important. There will be a fear. There will be a worry that, you know, the old Putin is still going strong. If I overstep the mark, then they're going to get me and... If they did get Prigozhin, they did it in a pretty spectacular way. This wasn't falling out a window. This wasn't a gentle poisoning. This was <laughs> potentially a bomb, a surface-to-air missile, or any one of the more outrageous conspiracy theories we've heard. Let's talk about Wagner a little bit more. Firstly, what does this do to who controls the group now? Because it's not that long ago, really, that the Kremlin basically denied that Wagner even existed. Um, we know that they are very intricately close to the group. Could we see them now taking more of a, a grasp 
on on Wagner and its operations, whether that be in Ukraine or or Libya or wherever their operations are around the world? So I, I think they they will do, and they've probably had more of a grasp over Wagner than Prigozhin ever would have admitted. And I think Prigozhin's real problem was that he started to buy into his own PR and believe that he was more powerful than he was. We saw back when that march on Moscow happened that this was not the entirety of Wagner marching with Prigozhin. Many members of Wagner decided to accept the offer that the army, the Ministry of Defense had made in advance of that march to be contracted to the army and the state directly instead of being contracted to Prigozhin. The state is, of course, offering them benefits, money, all sorts of perks and bells and whistles and what have you. And we did not see many of the Wagner soldiers electing to go to Belarus in the wake of that march either. So I think I think now the state will find it relatively easy to assert a more complete control over Wagner because the Wagner soldiers, for all of Prigozhin's supposed charisma, are not really following and never really were following Prigozhin. They were following the money. They were following the glory. They were following a path out of, for example, jail and towards what could have been freedom. And if the state can offer those same things to them, I don't think they will have a big problem with Wagner going forward. And certainly elements of Wagner will kick up a fuss on social media. There will be lots of loud claims that we will launch new attacks on Russia, that we can't accept this, that how dare you kill Prigozhin. But a lot of it, I think, will be bluster. Of course, having said this, as I say, reality shifts. I wait to be proven completely wrong. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to see all kinds of messages continue to be vomited out uh, about what's actually happened and what people think has happened. Uh, and that's where the, the lines are really going to be blurred. Um, just, just to finish off, what do you think we are likely to see now in the coming weeks, not just from the Kremlin, but from President Biden, from uh, from the UK, from Rishi Sunak, from um, countries around the world who are looking at this and are thinking perhaps they should say something. Are we going to see silence from them as well until we know the facts? And will we ever actually know the facts of what's happened here? So I think probably what we'll see, most interestingly from Ukraine, I think they will use this as a bargaining chip to say, well, Putin is an unreliable negotiator. He can't be trusted. He made a promise to Prigozhin, supposedly, after that march on Moscow. Look what happened to Prigozhin. Dear Western leaders, as support maybe begins to ebb a little bit in your countries for funding Ukraine, you better keep supporting us because whatever deal that Putin offers if he even offers a deal at some point, can't be trusted. So that puts them in a really strong position after this. Western leaders, I don't think, will be very interested. There's nothing new here. There's nothing surprising, of course. They will they will comment on this and point out this is a this is a mafia state, a gangster state. There's no rule of law in Russia, but there's nothing really that's going to change things for them there. In terms of the truth, I think we will simply see an explosion in different truths. And we will see conspiracy theories run and run about this one in particular, as they do about all things Russia. Yeah, well, we're going to be 
continuing to try and unpick the facts and find out what happened uh, later down the line. I'm sure you're going to keep doing that as well for as many years as this rolls on for. Uh, thanks for thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Listeners, we're always keen to know what you think. And if you have any thoughts on this episode, feel free to get in touch. And if you liked what you've heard, guess what? There's literally over 1,000 others to choose from. So have a listen. And if you really like what we do, why not back us on Patreon? Just £3 a month will go a long way to helping us keep conversations like this going. I'm Chris Jones, reporting from The Bunker. Bunker was written and presented by Chris Jones. The producer was Liam Tate, with audio production by me, Simon Williams. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis. The group editor is Andrew Harrison, with music by Kenny Dickinson and artwork by James Parrott. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>